When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Generally, when we think about the mission to the Gentiles, we think about St. Paul. He's that apostle to the Gentiles. It even came up in our, our office hymn. We don't so readily think about Peter. He's the apostle to his own people. And yet when we follow through the stories in the book of Acts, we see that, in fact, it's Peter who first makes that overture. It's Peter who's first called out to minister, to bring the good news to the Gentiles. It's Peter who first, if you will, breaks the barrier. It's Peter's testimony that's really critical when the apostles gather, when the council comes together in Jerusalem to consider Is this of God? What direction ought it to take? Paul's testimony matters because there's the fruitfulness that is following, but the fact that Peter can give his thumbs up to it makes an exceedingly great difference. We're reminded that it comes with this vision that he had. In in Acts, you've got the story in chapter 10, kind of the narrative, and in chapter 11, he recalls it because he's being taken to task, questioning where he is with his own with his own habits, his fraternizing with the Gentiles. He's being accused of doing something that's not appropriate. He gives this testimony that draws them back in and gives kind of a divine affirmation of the same. He has a strange vision. It's in the middle of the day. Kind of an interesting situation. He's there just waiting for food, and suddenly he finds himself seeing this strange and, well, I would say unsettling vision, this sheet that comes down from heaven, all of these unclean animals in it, and the voice that comes and says, get up, rise up, either kill and eat. And his response, well, no, Lord, I can't do that. I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And we're told that it it's a vision that repeats, but the response that comes to him is what God has cleansed. Don't you call common. I don't know how much time elapsed between each repeat of the vision, whether he had time to ponder these things, to wonder what was going on. We're told that when things finished, while he was left in some bewilderment, that these men from Cornelius' house showed up And he went with them, but he went with them because of what the vision opened up to him. It wasn't a vision about people. He doesn't know where it's leading him, but his willingness to go with them is because the Lord is showing him some strange things. And I find myself thinking, well, what was Simon Peter thinking about at this time? When he saw the vision, did it it stir in his memory things that he had seen with Jesus? As you go back through the stories, go back into Mark 7. It's in Mark 7 that Jesus gets into this debate with the Pharisees about what is it, well, scribes and Pharisees, what is it that makes a man unclean? He's being accused of not washing his hands as he ought to have in the ritual way before sharing in the meal. And he says it's nothing that goes into a man that makes him unclean. And then goes on to say, Do you not see that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him, 
since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and so passes on. Kind of is expunged from the body. This is the, the revised standard. Thus he declared all foods clean. Now the King James reads simply purging all meats, which is just a wonderful expression. Um, what does it mean exactly? Well, it's been read over time that this is where Jesus, in fact, dispenses of those kosher laws. But we know that Peter has continued to eat, to observe the Jewish laws, to understand that that's part of his devotion yet to God. But still, there was something going on in all of that. In fact, if you know chapter 7 of St. Mark's Gospel, or chapter 15 in St. Matthew's Gospel, we have this business about what makes a man unclean, and it leads on into the encounter with the Syrophoenician or the Canaanite woman, and somebody who's definitely amongst the unclean. Well, were there other things that might have come to mind for him? That was foods, but Jesus is concerned with the state of the heart. What is it that comes out? You know, it's not the food, it's what's in the heart. The food doesn't pass through the heart. The consecration of the heart matters. As he goes and encounters Cornelius, that's going to be key. That in Cornelius, there is somebody whose heart is disposed to God, though he's a Gentile and stands outside of all of the basic laws. There are all kinds of things he doesn't know, but his heart is open before God. What comes out of a man is what defiles a man for from within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a man. What all is going on in Simon Peter's head as he sees the vision of the unclean animals coming down? Well, those were to do with foods. On another occasion, there's things I mentioned with the Syrophoenician or the Canaanite woman. I wonder how much that one gets in, and I'll make a further reference in a few minutes, but maybe thought about the lepers who came. On the physical level, they were unclean. Ritually, they were unclean. Apart from the disease on the body, you weren't to draw near them. They weren't to draw near you. And yet... When a leper came to Jesus and said, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I will be thou clean and reached out and touched him. And Jesus wasn't made unclean, but the leper was cleansed. There's something of a miracle at work. There's something of this business of the what God has called clean, what God has cleansed. Don't you call common. There's an interesting bit of background that we don't get in Acts 11. But in the story in Acts 10, we're told that he was staying in the home of another Simon, Simon the Tanner. And some commentators have pointed out that a a tanner is someone who is perpetually unclean on the ritual front because he's constantly dealing with dead bodies of animals, with the carcasses. He has to do that work in in the, the tanning of the hides, the leather work. So he's somebody who always struggles. When the Pharisees talked about the sinners and tax collectors, well, the sinners were particularly those who, in their daily lives, could not be regularly, ritually clean. 
Simon's already in that spot. Peter's already in a place where there may already be questions. Uh, What were the dietary practices in the home? Was he able to eat the food that was prepared there? Was he already feeling somewhat compromised? Uh, It's been pointed out that the tannery would have been there at seaside because the salt water is essential for, for the tanning of the hides and that for Peter the fisherman who was away from home, it might have been a place where he had some comfort. But what about on the dietary front? We're told that he's waiting for the meal. He's waiting for his lunch. What's going on inside of him? Why does he see this vision? Is it possible that he'd already been pondering what kind of things are happening under the new covenant? What changes are coming with the Lord? What is he opening up? He's seeing lives converted. He's seeing the power of the Spirit going out and watching amazing things happen. Was his mind cast back to something that had happened a long time ago, way back in the story? After the great flood, when as they came out and a covenant was renewed with Noah and his sons, they were told that there was a dietary change at that point. The plants that had been given up to that point, now the Lord declares every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. The Council of Jerusalem, where there's that decision made about how do we deal with the Gentiles, how do we bring them into fellowship, there is a hearkening back to that point of covenant, that which was a universal with all the human race, not with the Hebrew people because Abraham has not yet come. He's not yet been called. There's not yet that distinctiveness. This is for all people. All the living things are given. You're supposed to watch. You're not to eat anything with the blood in it. Well, at the Council of Jerusalem, you're not to eat those things which are sacrificed to the idols, those things that are strangled or with the blood in them. What all is going through Peter's head? We know that I'd made reference this morning to things in in 1 Peter in the third chapter where he actually hearkens back to what went on at the flood, how the ark and the salvation through the water of Noah and his family was a type of baptism that was to come. Is he pondering this whole business of what is the Lord doing now with the baptism that he has brought the opening up of this way into the new covenant. I don't know how much of it he consciously worked through, but I wonder how much of it was there when he actually encountered Cornelius in his home and the Lord began to do new things. I wonder also, every time things come up with Peter and three times the Lord asked him, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Three times. He recalled the three denials of Peter. Three times the sheet is lowered. Three times the vision. Did Peter catch that one as well? Did he know that this has got something to do with the breaking of his own pride? A humbling of him before God. An opening of something that he wouldn't have done of himself. But now by God's call, by God's grace, he's called to do. How many times shall my brother sin against me and... I forgive him as many as seven times. I don't say to you, 
as many as seven times, but 70 times seven. He's already been learning about forgiving his own. What about the peoples who are estranged from God's own? It's there that Cornelius's men show up. How much has he thought about before that? We know that when they arrive, because of the vision, he simply goes with them. He knows that they're Gentiles who have come to bring them to their master, but he goes because the Lord has prepared the way. When he gets there, he enters in. Uh, We've actually got those words where he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. He's gone because of the vision. He didn't know it was about people. It was a vision. It isn't to be assumed that he then wasn't going to change his diet. But it did prepare the way for him first to go, then to enter in. And his words are a little bit what do you say, disingenuous. He says that it's unlawful, but it's not It's not the law. There's nowhere in the Mosaic law that says that he could not enter that home. It's very much more in keeping with what the Pharisees did in their building of the fence around the law, the lesser commandments that keep you from breaking the significant laws. A Gentile's home has all kinds of unclean things in it. If you're going to protect yourself from that ritual impurity and from other means of defilement, you stay away from their homes. But the law doesn't strictly forbid it. But he enters in and likewise he responds. He responds to what Cornelius has asked. He's had a vision too. And I'm interested in thinking about St. Paul. You know, when when Ananias went to him to pray for him and his blindness, Paul had had a vision. Saul of Tarsus had had a vision of someone coming. The Lord had prepared the way, and when Ananias arrived with that word from the Lord, it was a confirmation. Peter has been called. He's seen a vision. He arrives and discovers that Cornelius has had a vision. He's had a word from an angel who said, go and send for this Simon who's staying at the home of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. He's got words for you that are words of salvation for you and your house. And so he comes, send to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. So he shares the gospel. He doesn't know what they're going to do with it. He doesn't know what's going on in their hearts. He doesn't know how the way has been prepared. But wondrously, it's not his decision to make now. Because as he preaches, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And the Lord opens up their lives and shows the fruit of his his outpouring. And Peter understands that this is the other part of the baptism. Everywhere else he has seen them baptized with water and then the Spirit poured out. The Lord turns it around even as his vision kind of confounded him and turned things a little upside down. But it opens that way and he knows this is the confirmation of everything that I've been shown. The Lord 
has given his saving grace even to the Gentiles. Did he then think of other words of Jesus? Did he then think about that Syrophoenician woman who was definitely not of the house of Israel, was definitely not of the lost sheep that the Lord came to send, was definitely not entitled to the children's bread, and yet, as she came in faith and humility and opened herself before the Lord, there came that moment where Jesus poured out the ministration to her need, giving her, I would say, not just crumbs, but of the children's bread, the healing, the casting out of the demon. Did he think about the words of Jesus when he spoke of himself as the good shepherd? John 10, and said, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will heed my voice. So there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Did the penny drop? Was it kind of the lenses coming into into sync so that he could see clearly all of a sudden that the Lord who talked about seeking out the sheep that was lost wasn't necessarily talking about simply a few Hebrews who had wandered off or willfully gone their own way, but perhaps the people whom the Lord had made, who from the time of Noah had wandered off and been carried away by the evil one, who were being sought out by that shepherd who died for them to gather them back in. Did the word come to him about that thief on the cross who reached out even then to Jesus and was gathered in? Today you will be with me in paradise. If he got some glimpse of that, maybe he went back and found his mind wandering over all of the other Old Testament passages where God speaks about the light of his servant, that it's too little a thing for him just to be sent to his own people, but I shall send you as a light to the Gentiles, to the nether nations. Did he go back and find all of the promises that are there that strangely do speak about those who will be gathered in from afar, not simply his own? Did he find a new light then to go to Ezekiel and to understand that the shepherd who was going out The shepherd who wasn't simply a servant of the Lord sent out, but quite clearly declared to be the Lord himself. I, even I, will seek them out. Did he in that light see the coming of Jesus as the coming of the eternal word of God? The one by whom and for whom all things, all peoples were made coming to seek out those who were the very works of his own hands, who were the sought after of his own heart, the lost sheep that he would not rest until he had gathered them in from the very ends of the earth. Again, Simon Peter bore witness to what he saw, what he experienced firsthand at that time, and it was critical in them opening up the way to welcome in the Gentiles. Good news for those in their day, good news for us, as we in the witness that has followed thereafter have been gathered to the promises of God. When they had heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life.